0: My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Today's guest is Bob Berg, a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence, with total book sales of well over a million copies. Good morning. This is Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, we are absolutely privileged, all the way from Neptune, Florida, to have Mr. Bob Berg. Bob, how are you this morning?
1: Hey, Mark, so great to be with you. We haven't spoken in a long time.
0: Too long, my friend, and that's on me. Well, you are this world-class speaker, this unbelievable author. You've written, what, seven or eight books? Yeah, something like that. And I was thinking, you know, how did we connect? And then it hit me. It was through Charlie Tremendous Jones.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think at one time or another when, when Charlie was with us, I think everyone connected through Charlie Tremendous Jones.
0: You have a story about Charlie.
1: Oh, who who doesn't? <laughs> and, and who doesn't have many stories about Charlie? But oh my you know, gosh. The, the first time I, I met him, you know, it was really it was like a uh, a young major league baseball player meeting Mickey Mantle or Joe DiMaggio, you know. I mean this yes. you know, this was Charlie Tremendous Jones. Uh when I first got into sales, Life is Tremendous was one of the books that that we read, you know. Right. And uh he was bigger than life. I remember seeing him speak one time at one of my first National Speakers Association meetings. I, I did not get a chance to introduce myself to him, but uh, but he, he was just such a star. And I, so one, uh, we were we were on stage for the at the same direct selling convention, uh, and I, I didn't get to meet him at the first one. He was speaking the day before when I got there. I had asked if he had already been there and they said yeah I was so disappointed I didn't didn't get a chance to meet him but it happened a couple months later we were scheduled for another direct selling event and I was hoping I'd get to see him and and meet him although I was a little scared you know I was a little little intimidated
0: yes and,
1: and I remember and I I was at the uh I was in the green room where where everybody was um you know, where everybody was uh, kind of meeting up. I remember I was, I, was, I was grabbing something from the table and I hear this booming voice yes. from, from uh, you know, from wherever it was in the room saying, Bob Berg! And I thought, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, what are he... <laughs> and, and, and I look back, it was the man himself. He said, you knucklehead! Get over here. And I'm thinking, oh, no. How could I be in trouble with Charlie Jones, one of my heroes? And I start to walk toward him. And as I did, you know what he did because you know Charlie Jones. He gave yes. me the biggest bear hug. You could possibly He said,
0: I've been waiting to meet you. I missed you at that other
1: meeting. And I can't believe it took so You know. I yes. The guy, Mark, who was just bigger than life.
0: He and really he was.
1: Me, yeah. And he was making me feel like I was the person who he you know, had been looking forward to, to meet. I mean, just, just what a sweetheart, just a a wonderful human being.
0: Yeah. Mickey Mantle, tell him the double A guy who just got moved up that he's been waiting to meet him.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: And he'd say things like, you know, I like about you, everything. He just had a way about him that you, is, you
1: do. You do a great Charlie Jones too. I remember oh,
0: that you you do a do a wonderful show. Oh, I do a whole 20, 20 yeah. minute routine on Charlie. So I could
1: get his mannerisms, but not you know not his voice. I remember we were on at a, another program. We were on a panel together, and uh, so I I did an imitation in front of him, but not not in his voice though. But I said, uh, you know, Charlie Jones or the Charlie gives you a- advice that always sounds counterintuitive when he. says it. And it takes you aback until then, you know, he sort of comes with what he really means. For example, he'll say, look at this book right here. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? And everybody will kind of nod. He'll say, don't read this book. And everyone's like, why? And then then he'd say, devour it, study it, love it. And then, you know, I began to kiss the book like Charlie would, you know, a book. Uh, Now, I can't do the voice like you did, but that is exactly something Charlie would do.
0: He'd say, I got six kids. Six kids. I'd have more children, but my wife hates kids. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, Gloria's like the sweetest woman you ever met. Mm. Yeah, he just hits you with these aphorisms, and I just, I never knew anyone like him. Yeah. Well, his uh, his
1: daughter, uh, Tracy, who's now Dr. Tracy Jones, uh, she uh, is carrying on his business and just doing a, a superb job.
0: Yes. Now you've been speaking for how many years, how did you get started?
1: I've been speaking for just over 30 years now and I got started because I was in sales. I started out in broadcasting, then I was in sales and really uh, studied sales, learned it. I ended up being sales manager of a company and and was um, starting to show others what had been working for me and I, I I, oh, and then I, I remember I went to a, a, a seminar and I remember buying the person's tapes. This is how long ago it was, right? <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. Cassettes. Yeah, cassette tape <laughs> And it's kind of sort of one step above an eight track tape. Right. And in the back of it, it said something like, if you want to make extra money selling these tapes, let us know and so forth. So I did. And, and uh, they taught me how to Speak at all these free, you know, meetings, civic clubs, organizations, all the, and how to do a, you know, a 25 minute presentation, and then a, a close at the end, and, uh, and I did, I did that for a couple of years, and uh it was a lot of fun. Uh, but then I wanted to kind of go off on my own and 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 speak and teach on, you know, what what I really liked and uh what I wanted to do, and so I uh, I joined National Speakers Association because. Uh, you know, some people I had met said this, that's the association you want to join. It's a, a an association of professional speakers at different levels along their career and so forth. And, uh, and I did, and that turned out to be a great move because I got to learn how to actually have a speaking
0: business. Did you meet Cabot Roberts before he died?
1: I, I did. And about a year before he died, he was a, a lovely man. I remember I had a conversation on the phone with him too, that I, I just totally treasure because, you know, he's the guy who actually coined the phrase and this is and it's it's always credited to other people and it's always credited to different people but he's the one who coined the phrase people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care yes, that was his and so I called him up because I was doing an article or something on that and I wanted to make sure there was that I was totally quoting him correctly that it was him so we we spoke on the phone and it just couldn't have been couldn't have been any nicer and everybody who I knew, whoever met him, said the same thing about
0: him. Yeah, just a sweetheart. I had, a, I had some CDs by him. I never had the privilege of meeting, obviously. But, so you wrote a tremendous book called Endless Referrals. And in that book, you say, all things being equal, people do business with people and refer business to people that they know, like, and trust. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, so there's a couple elements of that. Um, first of all, it's talking about the relationship itself. And how important the, the relationship with is. And then all things being equal. And this is a very important part that often gets left out when people do this. A lot of times people say, oh, Bob Berg says, you know, people do business with the, and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, right. yeah, but that's not all there is to it. Um, the, the, the all things being equal is a very, very important part. Because if things are not equal and people say, well, man, things are never totally equal. No, they're not, but they're close enough to equal. Right. Okay? So, and, 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 so if things are, are equal, all, all other things, okay. Are, are, are equal or close enough to equal. So price, quality, uh, deliverability, uh, guarantee, you know, everything that's needed. Okay. All things being equal or close enough to it, people will, choose they will make the decision to do business with and uh, obviously refer business to those people they know like and trust but that but that all things being equal part must be there because see if your if the quality isn't good it doesn't matter how much they know like and trust you right okay and so so that's also very important the quality but it also might be a deliverable if they need something delivered in 10 days and you just don't have the capacity to do it. Uh, they're going to go with the, uh, the, the competitor who can uh, you know, assuming other things are close enough to being equal. So, but all things being generally pretty close to equal, that relationship is the one that's going to win the sale.
0: That's exactly right. I, I can't tell you how many times, Bob, I've closed speak engagements because I said, you know, as long as you have me do the keynote uh, while I'm there, I can do a book signing. I can do a little workshop. I can even facilitate a panel discussion. So you get three or four for one and there's this long pause and they'd say, you would do that. I said, why not? I'm there. What am I going to do? Go back to my room and watch HBO. I mean, (laughs) right. So all of a sudden that takes the, all things being equal out of the equation because they're not equal.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, you're finding ways to add significantly
0: more value Yes. and and that's going to be a difference maker. So you and John David Mann wrote a book called the go giver. How did you guys meet and, what were the circumstances around writing that amazing book?
1: Well, I, since, uh, endless referrals had been out. And, and again, that was a ho- a standard you know, how to type of book. It was a system that, you know, it was a system that for, for meeting and cultivating those no like and trust relationships with people, uh, that salespeople could use. And, um, I'd always enjoyed reading parables and I, for the longest time, I thought, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could take that, um, the basic premise of the you know the all things being equal, no like trust, so and put it into a parable form. And I thought, okay, so what is it about people who are able to to cultivate uh, quickly and sustainably cultivate these no like and trust relationships. And the 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 um, the biggest element of, of what they do is they're givers. Okay. They are always looking to give value, provide value to others. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could take that and turn it into a parable? And I thought, okay, so let's call it the go-giver, because these are people who are always focused on giving value to others. Uh, but then, really, the best thing I did for the book was to to ask John David Mann to be the co-author and the uh, lead writer, because John, you know, I'm again, I'm a how-to guy. John is a brilliant storyteller. So I knew John Because he was the editor in chief of a magazine I used to write for, every yeah every month he would when I'd submit the articles, uh, you know a lot of times and you know this because you've written a lot of articles editors will kind of just chop and cut
0: and
1: uh, (laughs) bad people they have to do you know they have to and so um, and but they'll do that and not really explain what they're doing sometimes they do leave your best stuff on the cutting room floor but. John was always so kind and so humble. He'd always send me back the article, and he'd say, you know, I did this here, I put this here, I cut this, is this okay? And the running joke was every month I'd email him back and say, not only is it okay, uh, you write my stuff better than I write my stuff. (laughs) And and so back then, few people outside of that very specific niche knew who John David Mann was. Now, these days, because after The Go-Giver, uh, he became sort of the uh, the co-author and ghostwriter of choice for publishing houses and agents who had you know celebrities or business icons or people who they wanted to who wanted to write a book, but they'd have John actually be the the author. So now you go into a store or even you know wherever, and he's he's co-authored or ghostwritten so many New York Times bestsellers that's not even funny. So, but back then, few people knew who he was and knew how brilliant he was, but fortunately, Mark, I was one of them who did. And so uh, I asked him, and I remember he was even busy at the time, and he and his fiance now wife anna, they they were visiting her mom in Tampa, which is across the state from Jupiter where I live, and they they made a four hour drive from tampa to uh to Jupiter to have and we had about a three hour dinner to talk about the book and you know what we saw for. It he still didn't make up his mind till about three weeks later when he called Mm -hmm. me. He said, you know, Anna and I have been discussing this and, and let's go for it. I think we've got something here. So about uh, three months uh, later we had the book completed and a year later after 26 rejections, we found our, our publisher.
0: Only 26.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Man. So you, you were like Jerry Seinfeld meeting Larry David. It's like, how did I meet this guy?
1: Yeah, really. <laughs> it's, it's
0: funny how that works out, huh? Isn't that funny? But I, th- I think if we're related, we'll meet, right? It's the law of attraction. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like he's been a mentor. Who else have been mentors for you coming up? Who are the people that really had an, a profound impact on who you became?
1: Well, I mean, I was very, very fortunate to be born to a couple of great parents. I mean, that's an amazing blessing. and And so they raised me to, you know, to have, I guess, the the sense of, of right and wrong that I have. And I always saw them just always be what I would call go givers, you know, even though that wasn't a term or, or a name, but I saw them always just bringing great value to, to people's lives. Mm-hmm. So they're my life's mentors, certainly.
0: Uh, what, what did they do for what your dad do for a living?
1: Well, kind of hard to explain. He had a, because he was really a, a forerunner, um, uh, in this field, he had a, what could best be called a gymnasium school, but not a school where people attended and, and, and you know, for a lot, but we can call it gymnasium school, um, based on building self-confidence in kids through physical activities, such as sports and self-defense and he kind of came up with the idea and it was just very natural uh, for my dad that if you could make a person feel comfortable with themselves physically you could help them build confidence emotionally yes and because remember it that it wasn't usually like that it it was just the you know you you, the old school was you know psychological first that's how you did it but he but he did it there. you know, he was a, uh, after he got out of World War II, he, he ran Chris and Angelo Dundee's Fifth Street Gym, which was a very famous fight gym in Miami Beach. Angelo eventually became Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard's trainer, but this is back in the uh, 50s. But, so he had that boxing background. So he actually started out just giving boxing lessons. And it oh, wow. turned into, he teach self-defense, he teach sports. But what he also did was the parents were not only involved in the lessons, which were usually like about an hour and a half, but he also did, had you know discussions with them. So after the lessons, then they'd all go back into dad's office, and the mom and the dad and the kid, and dad, they'd discuss what happened. They'd discuss other areas in the kid's life. So it was really very holistic. Here's the funny thing. Um, you know, my dad never went to college. I, he left home at, you know, I, I think at almost 18 to, to join the war. Um, he never went to college. He grew up, you know, very, very poor. It was, you know, the depression and it was, uh, he grew up in the immigrant, you know, slum kind of, thing, you know, Americana type of thing. He was actually written up a full page article on, on him uh, in Time magazine, in him and his business, which was called the Academy of Physical and Social Development. Wow. So. Yeah. And so, uh, I, you know, I kind of got to see dad in action all the time and how he dealt with people and he had just a very natural way. Uh, With me, it's not as natural. I don't necessarily have a natural love for people, (laughs) you know, um, uh, it's something I had to really develop, but I I got to see him and mom and how they were. And and it was just a, you know, that was, uh, they, they, you know, as I say, they're my ultimate mentors.
0: He was a good soul.
1: Yeah, very, very. Who else? Uh, I was, uh, at, you know, I never had those, uh, you know, the long-term kind of mentors, but I was always very fortunate that people showed up when I needed them to, you know, one of those kinds of things. Right. It, it could be someone, maybe a sales manager when I was just getting started, or it might have been a coach that worked with me well, Uh uh, and there were drive-by mentors. My, you know, my friend Donnie Scumaci. She she speaks on leadership. She's a great author, speaker, practitioner. And we we uh, talked about this in a conversation once. We call uh, we we. I think she probably coined the term, and I just agreed with her because she she's kind of like that. And then she gives me credit. But uh, their the, the term is called the drive-by mentor. And a drive-by mentor is someone who just happens to come along at the exact time and place that you needed to hear and were open to a very important message. Yes. Now you may never have met them before or maybe knew them and not even uh, had two or three conversations or, and you may never see them again. Right. But at that very point, they happened to show up at just the right time and gave you life changing advice. Yes. And that happened to me and and so you know I'm, I'm just very grateful for all the people that have been in my life as mentors my my lifetime mentors uh my my uh for a time mentors and then even the drive-by mentor
0: you're a sponge though you read a lot right how many books a year do you read
1: huh <clears throat> it's a good question because i'm always reading i'm not a fast reader though because i'm always taking. you know to me if a book's worth reading it's worth taking lots of notes yes and so you know i would say maybe i end up reading 50 or 60 a year but um but you know people think i read a lot more books than that because I'm <laughs> a week, but no, no it takes me it takes me a while to get through them
0: yeah do you mark in your books to highlight dog ear annotate oh gosh yeah i might you know uh, you know there are
1: some books i just don't have the heart to do it so let's say you, you have a book like orson sweat martin's Peace, Power, and Plenty, which was written, I think, in 1900. Right. And I have one of the original copies. I, I just couldn't bear to get in no. touch. To, so I just it's, it's totally yellow stickied with notes about yeah. this is on every line and, you know, this copied and this stuff. But it's all yellow sticky notes with, with notes on the sticky notes. But I, I, just, I just couldn't bring myself to writing in the book or dog earing the pages.
0: Yeah. That's how I felt about Moby Dick. It's like, I can't mark in this. I have a hard bound copy. It's gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) Of all the other books. Absolutely. That's why I have a hard time throwing them away.
1: Yeah. Oh, I I don't throw them away. (laughs) I I try. It doesn't work.
0: (laughs) I remember lending a book to uh, a friend of mine who was the CEO of a company. And he said, I enjoyed reading your notes in the margin more than the book.
1: Uh, 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 That's right. I'll bet.
0: And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So how are you navigating through all these challenges and changes that we're experiencing?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's like anything else. You, you, you've got to, to um, deal in truths. Uh, I think successful people, you know, they do that first. They, they don't bury their head in the sand. It uh, doesn't mean it's, it's, it's pleasurable or fun. I mean, I'm certainly not enjoying what's what's going on anymore than anything else. And my heart breaks for those people whose lives have been just ruined uh, right. from this. But I, I think what you got to do is you em, not, embrace, I don't want to say embrace, but you accept the truth of the situation. And you also look at what you cannot do. Okay. What's out of your control. Right. But then you don't focus on that. You focus what is in your control. And uh I, I think if you do that, you at least create the context for being able to effectively deal with this. Yeah.
0: It's at the heart of that is the serenity prayer. What's what can you yeah. do? What's out of your control? Yeah. Yeah, that's that I mean, that's essentially what I've been doing. I shifted gears, expanded my coaching business, started doing what I'm doing a webinar right after this. You know, and it oh, good? Uh, abracadabra, you know, I'm staying busy. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. You've been, you've written what, seven, eight books?
1: Yeah. Something like that.
0: Okay. If you were to offer advice to somebody who wanted to, to write, what would you suggest? What would you tell them?
1: Uh, well, first I would ask what the purpose is for their writing. Okay. So if it's to, uh, if it is to create something that is going to, you know, sell let's say, the end goal is just to sell millions and millions of books. I'd say before, and not that they're writing because it's a passion that they just feel it's a message they have to get out. A message you have to just get out, write it anyway, even if no one bought it. Write it because you wanna write it. But if yes. it's something that you're, your goal, you're doing it because you believe this is something where you know millions are gonna, then make sure that you understand that it's a business. The, the that writing and selling marketing a book is should be approached as a business in and of itself. Right. The The writing, which to me is very, very difficult, is actually the easiest part of the process of selling a million books. <laughs> okay. Right. Because you know, you can have the best book in the world, but if it's, if people don't know about it, uh, they're not beating a path to your door.
0: <laughs> you're right. going to
1: have a, 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 a garage full of books. Now, if you're writing a book because you want to use it as a, let's say, as a marketing tool, okay, to your very specific uh, uh, market, well, that's great. You realize you're not going to necessarily sell a whole lot of books, but that's not why you're doing it. You were right. doing it for the purpose of of uh, uh, of util- utilizing it as a positioning tool. So learn how to do that. How have other speakers or coaches or trainers or whatever it is that you were, you know, how have they done that and study how they have utilized that book in order to, uh, you know, to, to accomplish that goal. So, uh, but, but generically speaking, if you just, have, you know, you have a message that you just want to get out there, write the book. Now, people say, well, Bob, but, you know, there's been so many books written on this topic. Sure there have, but, but you haven't written any of them, okay? So in other words, n- no one has shared the different experiences based on those principles that you have lived. So there's always room for someone to write a book about a topic. Look at how many cookbooks there are, you know, and a person who buys a cookbook probably has 60 cookbooks. A right. uh, person who buys a book on sales, I probably have 400 books on sales in my library. Uh, you know, So you write a book on leadership. Well, but there are thousands of books on leadership, but none coming from you and your unique experiences.
0: Right. So tell your story, tell your message, and find the need and fill it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect, perfectly said.
0: Well, it's Acres of Diamonds, isn't it? It's Russell Conwell. Mm,
1: that was such a great book.
0: Oh, I mean, 1923. Come on. I know. I, I love he says uh, the best thing you can do is sit on a park bench and just sit there all day and take a look at what marketplace is offering, and what it's not offering and then find a need and fill it. That's your acres of diamonds. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is great advice. So you're a podcaster. You were podcasting before anybody was podcasting. You're a blogger. You're a speaker. You're an author. How does somebody get a hold of you? How do they buy one of your books or contact you to speak?
1: Uh, you know, the easiest way, Mark, is just to go to Berg, and that's B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can scroll down and they can see a whole bunch of books lined up and they can uh, get, you know, a chapter one or or an excerpt of the book to see if they like it first. Then they can always click through to uh, Amazon they can subscribe to my blog, and I'm doing a, a, a video series on the blog that comes out twice a week. And uh, there's all sorts of resources to, uh, to look for, um, you know, for people who want to, uh, to connect with me, including everywhere where I hang out on social media. All
0: right. Last question, because the clock is ticking. <laughs> parting shots, parting comments. What, what's the best business advice you ever got?
1: Well, for this, I would go back to that drive-by mentor and what he told me, because I had been in sales for a couple of years and I had been doing well, but I gotten into a massive slump. And one reason for that was that there was a big problem I was dealing with. And that problem was me, <laughs> And it was that my focus was really kind of on myself as opposed as opposed to who I was supposed to be serving, the customer. Uh, it just kind of sort of happened. It just, you know, without my even realizing it. And I remember coming back to the office one day after an unsuccessful selling appointment. And I think he saw me sort of as Joe, the protagonist in, this, in the story, the guy with all oh, this potential, a you know, good kid, up and coming, Uh, ambitious, aggressive, but whose focus was was kind of backwards. And he said, Berg, he was a a last name kind of guy. He said, (laughs) Berg, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, he said, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that's when it really came to me that great salesmanship was never about the salesperson. Great salesmanship was never about the Product or service, as important as as that is. Now, great salesmanship is always about the other person. It's about that person whose life you choose to add exceptional value to through your product or service. It's how their life will be made better as a result of that product, that service, and as a result of knowing you.
0: So it really is true I can have everything I want if it just help enough other people get what they want first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was Zig's famous saying that that is such a, a game changer for anyone who will really embrace it.
0: Well, the way he framed it too. It really is true. <laughs> well, you see, you can have uh, everything
1: in life you want uh, <laughs> if you just help enough other people get what they uh, want <laughs>
0: first. Oh, God, the way he's phrasing was just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, always a joy talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for making the time out of your busy schedule.
1: Oh, my pleasure. What a just great connecting with you, reconnecting after all this time.
0: I know. Too long. And to quote Charlie Jones, you know what like about you? Everything. <laughs> and that's what he'd say. All right, my friend, take good care. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks again. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.